Excuse me, it's nice to see you. Uh, if you are new and you don't know who I am, my name's Rich. I'm one of the leaders of the church here. Uh, you're very, very welcome if you're here to see the baptisms. Um, or if just coincidentally you've turned up and this is your first Sunday and you're wondering what that is all about, it will all become clear uh, later on. Basically, we are, I'm going to try and do two things this morning. As a church, we are currently working our way through a big series on Sunday mornings uh, called The Real Jesus. We're looking at the, the life, the death of the real historical Jesus who really lived, not the Jesus of kind of myth, fairy story, or popular culture. And we're doing that by working our way through Matthew's Gospel, the first uh, of the four accounts of the life of Jesus in the New Testament, written by an eyewitness. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples who wrote down what he'd seen and what he'd heard and what he'd experienced with Jesus. So we are digging into that, and we're going to continue doing that this morning. But what we're also going to do is I'm going to attempt to explain to you, in tandem, if you like, what that is all about. We're going to be talking about baptism as well and exactly why these guys are going to come up here uh, and get plunged underwater uh, in front of you all. I think, basically, if we get straight down to it, this should work. It doesn't work. There we go. Something's going wrong already with my technology. There we go. We're looking at a tricky business this morning. We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. If you have a Bible, you can get one out. If you don't have one, that's fine. The words will appear um, behind me as and when we need them during the course of the morning. What we're basically up to in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, is Jesus increasingly, he spent probably about two years now travelling around. He's in his early 30s. He's been travelling around. He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been performing all sorts of astounding miracles. But... More and more and more, he's meeting opposition. He's meeting people who don't like who he is and what he's got to say. Particularly, he's getting opposition from some of the religious types uh, and people who think perhaps they know a little bit better than him. And what we've got this morning is another example where Jesus clashes with the authorities. Jesus actually, this morning, we're going to see him having a confrontation with people who are deeply sceptical about who he is and his claims. And it may be that that fits well with you this morning. It may be that you're here to see one of your friends uh, or relatives getting baptised and you're thinking, to be honest, I'm very sceptical about this whole Christianity thing. This would fit really well with you in that case. So please listen and hopefully it will help you. First thing we're going to look at is the request for Jesus to do a trick. This is what uh, this particular encounter starts off with. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious types of the day. They were sort of uh, very morally upright, regular churchgoers, but they just didn't get Jesus. Every time we find these guys interacting with Jesus, it seems that they miss what's really going on. And often we can actually use these guys from the accounts of Jesus as an example of how not to do it. So if you are kind of thinking, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Give me a sign from heaven. Actually, this is not going to be a great example of how to handle it, even if you're sceptical. Because what they did, as the passage here says, is they came to Jesus and said, give us a sign from heaven. What they're doing is saying to Jesus, you're making all these big spiritual claims, prove it to us. Show us, give us something that we can actually see, something that backs up the claims that you're making. And the first thing I think I'd like us to get hold of is actually we can be very, very similar to that. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, 
and you're just visiting. Actually, we can fall into this same kind of trap. We can be like that with God. We want God to show himself to us. We want God to prove himself in some shape or form. And it has to be clear, doesn't it? It has to be the equivalent of, I want to see lights in the sky sort of spelling out his name. Or perhaps even spelling out your own name would be nice. I want to hear a big voice. This is God. And you think, now you're talking. Now you're making sense. The very minimum we want is, 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 is a non-blurry photograph that hasn't been taken in bad lighting conditions, posted and reposted on the internet several times. We want something clear for God to prove himself to us. We want it to be on our own terms, on demand. We want it to be to us personally. We want it to be unequivocal. We want it to be a definitive, you can't argue, this is proof that God exists. The trouble with that is actually what we're trying to do is get God to do things our way. We're acting like we're the, monkey, we're the organ grinder and God's the monkey, aren't we? I'm going I'm to crank the handle. I want you to show up. Dance, monkey. Do a little dance for me. And we want God to fit in with our pattern and our way of doing things. Now, wherever you're coming from, there's something that says that's the wrong way round, isn't there? If God really exists... And he's God as we understand God to be bigger than us. It doesn't make sense for us to crank out a little tune. I'm expecting him to come and do what he does. It seems back to front to me. I don't know. And this is what's going on here. They're coming up to Jesus. Dance, monkey. Do a little song for us. Clap your hands. Wave your tail. Now, there is a way of a kind of saying to God, look, I'm interested, I'm, I'm thinking things through. We, we run an Alpha course, uh, Nigel and Phil have both done the Alpha course with us, and Alpha course is a, is a, is a relaxed, low-key way to explore the message of Jesus. And one of the things that I tell people on the Alpha course, if you're getting to a point and thinking, I'm interested in this, this is, I'm starting to think I'm curious, don't say, give me a sign, but you can pray the cheeky prayer. And the cheeky prayer is the one where you say, I'm not really sure, God, but I'm quite interested. If you're there, can you, you know, can we make a connection in some shape or form? And it's not demanding for lights in the sky and a big voice, you know, and a non-blurry photograph in good lighting conditions or camcorder footage that isn't really wobbly and grainy. It's just saying, God, on your terms, I'm interested in connecting with you. And I think that makes more sense, doesn't it, if there is a God, to connect in that way. You see, these guys have actually missed what Jesus has already done. Jesus has spent two years travelling around the country, teaching, preaching, performing miracles, and they're coming up to him and saying, show us a sign. Jesus is like, hello, two years worth, take your pick. Wherever I go, I'll leave a trail of healed people and miracles and extraordinary phenomena. And they're like, no, no, we, we want it our way. We want our trick, our trick, our message. Jesus has already done what they're asking them to do, but they didn't want to see it. And again, we can be like it to God. God, prove that you exist. Show us that you exist. Definitively. And actually, he already has. That was the whole deal with Jesus. Jesus was not just a religious teacher. Jesus consistently claimed, the real Jesus consistently claimed, that he was not just a great religious teacher come to tell us how to behave and how to live a moral life. The real Jesus consistently claimed that he was God himself come down to earth to live life as one of us. And so we see 2,000 years ago, 
in a little stable that we kind of remember around Christmas time. A baby was born that the Bible teaches us and Christians believe was God himself being born as a human. And so Jesus, the real Jesus, lived fully human, fully God, just what God would be like if he was one of us. And he lived this life and then died, was executed, nailed up onto a wooden cross by the Roman authorities. And then three days later, as we're going to come to in a minute, rose from the dead so that we can reconnect with God. So when these Pharisees say, show us a sign, he can say, I've done it. When we may even say to God, show yourselves to us, Jesus can say, I've already done it. That's what my life and death was all about. God showing himself to us. Now the problem then was, and actually the problem still today is, that we're really not satisfied with God's way of doing it. And so we see as this encounter goes on, that just like us, these guys miss a trick. This is is how the narrative goes on. Jesus replied to them, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Does it sound familiar, that little thing he says to them? You know? Red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Yeah? Mashed potato, lamb, shepherd's pie. It's a... I can't help feeling the rhyming version's better, isn't it, to be honest? Do you know what I mean? Most people don't look out the window, do they? And go, oh, yes, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. So I think it's been refined a little bit over the years. I prefer our version. But what Jesus is really saying to these guys is, you don't get it. And the reason that they're asking for a personal sign, and the reason perhaps that you can be find yourself asking for a personal sign for God, God, show me, give me the categorically undisputable evidence, is actually that deep down we're not very good at the whole God thing. We, we maybe like to think we are, but we really don't get the whole thing with God. The spiritual thing, it's, it's just not something we click with really well. And Jesus is saying to them, you understand the weather, but you don't understand God which was obviously offensive to these guys. They were religious people. They spent their whole time talking about God. And Jesus says, yeah, you know know what's going on with the weather. You don't know what's going on with God. They thought they were really sharp. They thought they were really on the ball. You may think, you know what, I'm a sharp guy. I don't miss a trick. The reality is they and we can find ourselves missing the biggest one of all. They can utterly miss the whole point. You may be really good at normal, practical, everyday stuff. Hopefully you're sitting here and you've got some kind of proficiency. Maybe you're really good with handling your finances, or you're great with kids, or you're brilliant at DIY, or you excel at work, or you're just really good at running the family, you're great at sport, you perform well at college. You've got some kind of normal, everyday thing that you're really good at, but maybe you're just not good at the spiritual stuff. Maybe you just don't really get God. Maybe you don't really get eternity. Maybe you don't really get your own soul. Maybe you don't even really get Jesus. Wasn't he just a great religious guy? And we can think, the problem is, it's just, it's just too confusing. It's too complicated. When people talk about it, I don't, I don't get it. God's too hidden. Why doesn't he just show himself? Why does it have to be this way? The reality is, unfortunately, that the problem is not with God. It's not that it's too complicated. It's not that Jesus is too hard to understand. 
it's actually we're not very good at understanding. We're not very good at perceiving and, and grasping what's going on. But because we're so arrogant that deep down inside we assume we are utterly capable, that therefore if we find the whole God thing confusing, it must be because God is confusing. If we find the whole Jesus thing difficult, it must be that, well, it's just a complicated subject. The reality is it's not. Let me give you an example. We've all seen ants, haven't we? Yeah? Now, some of us, when we see ants, uh, have got good vision, and you can see this little thing. And if you look closely, you can see the little guy's got six legs, and he's running around, um, and that kind of thing. Some of you struggle a little bit, and you'll kind of blink a lot and move your glasses back and forth, and there's a little dot kind of vaguely moving around. That's fine, okay? How about this? Have any of you, unaided, been able to pick up an ant and look him in the eye and see the detail on his eyeball? Can you do that? No. Whose fault is it? Is it a deficiency with the ant? Or is it a deficiency with you? I mean, he's fine, isn't he? It's not his fault. It's not like, you're too small. You, you just, I can't get you. It's our limitation. We're just not able to do certain things, are we? And the reality is that there is a whole tiny world around us that we miss completely. Not because there's anything wrong with it, but because there's something deficient in us. We just can't see it close up enough. With the right technology suddenly we can access it. And here is what you would see if you were more good and capable at getting the tiny stuff. That's an ant's eye. Anyone sees that on a day-to-day basis? No, we don't, do we? And yet those little fellas are all around us, aren't they? But we miss it. We don't see it. We don't get it because of our limitations, not because of its. These little fellas are all around us but we don't see them. Anyone know what it is? It's a dust mite, isn't it? Swines, aren't they? These will live in your pillows and in your duvets and in your mattress, and you can't see them, and they do their business in your pillows and your mattress and your duvet. Breathe it in and breathe it out. The doctor's nodding. But we don't see them. Is the problem theirs or ours? They're too small. We don't get them. I wonder what he looks like close up. Oh, my life. Oh, my life. Somebody gouged my eyes out. <laughs> and you've got millions of those little guys crawling around at home. But we don't see it, do we? That's nicer, isn't it? As we walk around, particularly in the summer, the air is full of pollen grains. Do you see them? You don't see them because they're too small. We'll end on something nice. Oh, snowflakes. Even then, we know they're there, we're out there and we see a big load of white stuff, but you don't see that, do you? Is the problem yours or the snowflakes? The problem's with you, you're too limited, you're too deficient to actually see what's really going on there. But with the right technology, you can get it. It's the same thing with the whole God thing. It's not God's problem, it's your deficiency. It's our limitation. We're just not very good at getting it. We're not very good. There's a whole spiritual world out there. And like these pollen and dust mites and snowflakes, we walk around and we just don't see it. We're unaware of it. Not because it's not there, but because we're not good enough to get it. And what Jesus did is Jesus came to 
allow us to see and connect with the spiritual reality that is around us. He came to show us God. If you like, he was the technology that allows us to see what was going on right under our nose. Jesus had a whole load of sayings about who he was. I'm the bread of life. I'm the gate. I'm the way. I am the electron microscope, he could have said, couldn't he? The nuclear magnetic resonance imaging machine. But he didn't say those things for obvious reasons, people. But actually, that is kind of what Jesus came to do. He came to show us in a way that we could understand God, in a way that we could get it. He came to live this life. And these people being baptised today that have become Christians, it's not that they are better than you. It's not that they've got super spiritual vision and I can see me, I can read the bottom line at the opticians, no problem. It's actually that Jesus comes so that people like you and me, who are pretty poor sighted when it comes to spiritual things, can actually see and connect with God. Maybe you're really good at world politics, economics, science, sports psychology. But maybe you're walking around and there's this whole spiritual world around you that you just don't get. And you miss out on who God is and what he can do. And what he can actually do in your life. And so we finally come to the last bit of this encounter with Jesus. Jesus' reply. Jesus, come on, do a trick. Jesus says, no, you guys have missed a trick. And he talks about a tricky sign. He says this, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And then he went away. It's quite mysterious, isn't it? The sign of Jonah. And went away. What does he mean, the sign of Jonah? Well, he's picking up on uh, a narrative in the Old Testament written about 700 years before Jesus was born. It's a story that you may have heard bits from uh, you know, as, you, as you're growing up in some context or another. It's a story of Jonah and the big fish, or Jonah and the whale. Uh, and to, to summarise this story, Jonah, God speaks to Jonah and says, I want you to go to this big city, and I want you to tell everyone that they need to shape up and connect with me, or there's going to be trouble. Jonah says, I'm not doing it. I'm not gonna, I don't want to do what you tell me to, God. I want to do it my way. He runs away, gets on a ship, he sails in the opposite direction. There's a huge storm at sea, And the sailors on the ship say, why is there this storm? What's happening? And Jonah says, look, I think it might be me. I'm running away from God. And they say, running away from God, I'll I'll, I'll give you running away from God. And they pick him up and throw him into the sea, basically to get him out of of trouble. It's not practice no longer acceptable with mariners, I believe. (laughs) P&O ferries and that that sort of thing. Uh, And then, as he's sinking down, drowning into the sea, this huge fish, I don't know, maybe it's a a basking shark or a whale shark, one of, those, one of those big guys, it doesn't say exactly what it is, swallows him up. And Jonah's inside the fish's stomach for three days. And then he does some business with God and he basically realises, yeah, I, I thought I got it, but I didn't get it. Now I get it. And the fish vomits him up again on dry land, which is a great start to the day, isn't it? Just Someone's walking past, just get, get a handkerchief, man, what are you doing? Your sleeves and your arms. But you're thinking, that can't happen, that's impossible. And it is impossible, that's the whole point of the story. Christians don't believe that if a big whale shark swallows you up, you're just going to you know, just lie there for three days, this is great. And then, It's impossible, he would have died. He would have suffocated, the, the gastric juices would have killed him. It was a miraculous thing that God kept him alive inside this fish. That's the whole point of the story. And the fish isn't going to vomit him up alive again. 
It's miraculous. That's the whole point. But actually, miracles are not that much of a problem if God really exists, are they? The problem we have is when we say, well, that can't happen. No, it can't happen. But maybe if God really exists and has control over the way things work, he can cause these things to happen. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, just like Jonah went down into this fish and came up again, Jesus is saying to these people, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign, all right. I'm going to do something just like Jonah did. I'm going to go down into death and come back up again. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. And in the same way that Jonah, in the account we have, went down into the belly of the fish, Jesus says, I'm going to go down into the belly of the earth. I'm going to go down into the grave. I'm going to die and be put inside a tomb, dead. And then three days later, I'm coming back to life. Now you're saying, that's impossible. And we sit on Alpha and we, we go through these kind of things on the Alpha course and we'll often talk about the resurrection of Jesus and people will say, well, that's impossible. Dead people don't come back from, the li- from, from li- to, the, to life. That's the whole point. It is impossible. That's why Jesus is saying this is a really good sign. Because it's impossible. But if God really exists and Jesus was God come down to rescue us, maybe it's not so improbable that he could do the miraculous and rise from the dead. And actually, there is a wealth of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. We have accounts like Matthew's Gospel, which were written by eyewitnesses, people who were there at the time, who saw Jesus, who knew he was executed, who saw the tomb, and who three days later said, we went to the tomb, and the body was gone, and and the the grave was open. And where was he? And then we have all these accounts of Jesus appearing after he's supposed to have died and risen from the dead to people, some of them who knew him, some of them who didn't know him. Jesus appears after his death to his own mother and his brothers who previously didn't even believe in him and is so utterly convinced that he's alive that they become Christians. And he appears to all sorts of people. And then we find these people who, the disciples and people other than that, who said, this is a disaster, it's a washout, it's all over. Suddenly, their lives are changed. And they lived in such a way that they were so convinced that Jesus was alive and risen from the dead that many of them suffered and died for their faith. It's not just a myth, it's not a fable, it's not just a metaphor. There's actually really good evidence, and we dig into it a lot on Alpha, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And you've got to ask yourself the question, what does the evidence point to? points to a miraculous raising from the dead, which is the sign of Jonah that Jesus gave. Just like Jonah went into the fish and came out. I'm going to go into the grave and come out, which finally brings us to baptism. So if you were starting to think, come on, mate, are we, uh, what's that? This is where we get to it. Because baptism, what we're basically going to do when we baptise these guys is we're going to get them in this big box full of water and we're going to shove them underwater and we're going to pull them back up again. It's, just to make it clear, it doesn't change anything. This is not holy water. It just came out of a tap. It's not going to change anybody. It's not going to transform anybody. It's a picture. It's a symbol. Being baptised doesn't make you a Christian. Being baptised is something you do because you have already become a Christian. So Nigel and Phil are going to get baptised, not to make them Christians, but because they've already become Christians. They've already given their life to this resurrected Jesus and said, I'm going to live for you. And the baptism is a picture, just like the sign of Jonah was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. This is a picture of what happens to someone when they give their lives to Jesus and become a Christian. And you see the water 
here is a bit like the grave. So we're going we're gonna to lie them down under the water. And it is a picture of their old life, the life that was very self-centered, the life that had pushed God out, the life that was going to, what the Bible talks about, a sinning, living life our way rather than God's way. That old life goes down into the grave. Just like Jesus went down into the grave. When, the Bible says that we share in Jesus' death and resurrection. So the old life goes down into the water, into the grave and dies. And as they come up, it's a picture of being joined with Jesus in his resurrection. The Bible says that actually when we become Christians, our old life dies and a new life begins. A new life where the sin and the guilt and the moral failings are left behind, are dealt with, are dead and buried in the grave. And so that's what's going on here. It's a picture. It's a physical, acted-out picture of a real spiritual change that has happened inside these guys. Why do you think we need a physical, acted-out picture? Because we're not very good at getting the God thing. Because it's kind of too small for us to see unaided. And so the Bible says, use this as a way of reminding yourselves and understanding what's happened. So, that is where we're going. That's this encounter that they had with Jesus. And really what we've seen from that is despite our chronic inability to get God, Jesus gives us the ultimate sign. Sign of Jonah, his death and his resurrection from the dead. It opens up the way to God so that you, if you're sceptical, if you're not religious, if you're not really sure, so that you, if you don't get the spiritual world, so that you also, as well as these guys, can connect with God through Jesus by turning away from the old life and seeing that die and beginning a new life, forgiven and set free and accepted by God. I would just want to say to you, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't, walk, don't do like you can do in the summer. You walk around and you don't see the pollen or the outsides or the bed bugs or in winter from the snowflakes. Please, I would hate for you to live your life missing the spiritual world that is all around you. I want to encourage you. Maybe it's worth investigating a little bit closer this whole part of life. And you may need help doing so. If you think you need some help, talk to someone here who's a Christian. Maybe the person you're sitting next to can grab me and have a chat with me. Or Nigel or Phil. Just say, well, tell me more about what this is about and we'd love to help you. As I said earlier, we run an Alpha course, which is an eight-week course. We'll run another one in January where it's a chance to have a meal together, to sit down, have a chat. There's a talk, a discussion, and it's a really easy, relaxed way to investigate the claims of Jesus and the evidence for him. And if that would be of interest to you, I can tell you more about that as well. Or simply, you may think, I'm just going to come along on some Sundays and see a bit more of what goes on here. You'd be really welcome. And I really think it would help you just to bring this whole world and this whole God thing into focus. So that's pretty much all I've got to say, really. I hope that's helpful. I hope that gives you a handle on the real Jesus and on what we're going to do here and the whole God thing. Um, I think now would probably be a good time to hear from Phil and Nigel, if that sounds good. Can we get the kids back in, everyone? And Nigel and Phil, if you want to make your way up here, that would be tremendous.